welcome to Checked Out. We're broadcasting from Euclid Public Library in beautiful Euclid, Ohio. I'm Casey Armstrong, Director of the Library. And I'm Mike Stein, Assistant Manager of Adult Services. We talk about our favorite books, movies, services, and events with our favorite people in our favorite community. Each podcast will feature a theme. Today, we're talking about Euclid history with our special guest, Tom Pappas from the Euclid Historical Society and Museum. Tom, thanks for coming in. How are you doing? Well, I'm fine, and thank you for the invitation to come talk with you this afternoon. It's very good to see all of you. And people might not know, but you are retired from the Euclid Library from a couple years ago, and you were kind of the history guy of the library when you were here. You created all the pamphlets on some of Euclid's dignitaries from the past, so tell us what library patrons can expect to see when they look through those and other EPL local history resources. Well, they can expect to see people places and events that were a significant part of Euclid's uh, past. So for instance, uh, there's a pamphlet on Kenneth Sims, who was the longest serving mayor of Euclid, served from 1937 until his retirement in 1970. Uh, they can see uh, the Mary Mavic School of Opportunity, which was for people who were mentally, uh, had mental disabilities. Um, it's still around, it's moved from its original location on Lakeshore. And they can expect to see uh, pamphlets about certain events, such as the Euclid Sesquicentennial in the summer of 1959, which marked the city's 150th birthday, and things of that nature. So now that you are involved with the Euclid Historical Museum over on North Street, what kinds of things can visitors to the museum expect to see? Well, they can expect to see Euclid's very first high school when they visit that building. Uh, the building had its first, it was, made around the 1890s, had its very first graduating class in, in about 1894. Uh, they can expect to see many artifacts from Euclid's past. Uh, some of those artifacts are medical tools uh, from some of the doctors who serve the Euclid community, uh, costumes uh, such as dresses, uh, police uniforms, military uniforms. Uh, they can expect to see a lot of uh, tools, old farming tools and implements as well as uh, some later tools uh, or machines, such as uh, a printing machine from a dressograph moldograph that uh, uh, made dog tags in World War II and credit cards after the war. Uh, they can also find a pretty extensive photograph uh, and clipping file in, in the uh, museum's library. So can people just come to the museum? Do they have to make an appointment? How do uh, you get to go see those things? No, no appointments necessary. We are open Tuesday afternoons from uh, 1 to 4, uh, and that's uh, every Tuesday. And you probably got some library history over there. We've got plenty of history as we're celebrating the 85th anniversary of the library. Uh, we've been on the present site in some form since 1958. And what are your earliest memories of Euclid Public Library? Well, I'm a transplanted West Sider. Uh, I was not born on the East Side. I was born on the West Side of Cleveland. So my earliest memories of, uh, of libraries were with the bookmobile because my elementary school, uh, Artemis Ward, did not have a library at the time. Uh, as I got older, um, there was a library created, uh, the Rockport branch of the Cleveland Public Library. So that's my earliest memories of li public libraries. I didn't start using the Euclid Public Library until I moved to Euclid in 1986. At that time, I started coming here because that was the local library to go to. Um, and one of the earliest memories I have is going to borrow home repair books because 
the house I bought on Wilmore Avenue, which is still there, well, I have some faucets needed repaired or some basic carpentry and things. And so I borrowed some how-to books and uh, used them to, to make the repairs. Um, I think the, one of the very first programs I attended was uh, about Slovenian washer cloths, which was presented by uh, Dr. John Grabowski, who was at that time my boss at the Western Reserve Historical Society. So uh, it was good to, uh, my wife actually came with that too because she's of Slovenian descent. So we, we both attended it and uh, it was the very first program I attended here. And it was, uh, it was uh, very informative. We still get a lot of attendance for Slovenian themed programs. Yes, I know. I was at the one last year for the uh, Slovenian cooking. Yeah, standing room only for that. I always hear people ask about the mall, Sims Park, Euclid Beach Park, even though that's not really in Euclid. What are some of the most asked about parts of Euclid history? Well, I recall one of the most frequent questions I got was about Euclid Beach, even though Euclid Beach is not part of Euclid, but they hear and see the word Euclid in it and just assume that it was located in the city of Euclid. But it wasn't, but I would get a lot of questions about that. Also got a lot of questions about um, Euclid schools, most, most particularly about the yearbooks. They wanted a yearbook from the class of maybe 1976 or 1953 or whatever uh, to look up fellow classmates. I did get a couple questions too, I remember, about uh, Euclid City Hall. Um, not the building we're currently in, but the old city hall across the way. Uh, people assume that that was Euclid's very first city hall. It wasn't. Uh, the very first city hall of Euclid was actually on North Street across from where the museum is. It burned down in 1929 and uh, was not replaced until uh, the 1930s by the, uh, the old city hall across the way. So, Tom, do you know why they named the Euclid Beach Park Euclid Beach Park? No, not offhand. Oh, okay. <laughs> so are there any particular parts of Euclid history that you enjoy talking about the most? Yeah, there are about three. I, I, I like talking about... Um, Euclid in the 1930s. And that is a very interesting period because the city had just transitioned from a village to a city. You know, from the census of 1930, Euclid's population went over 10,000, and that qualified it to be a city. And it made a big difference because the, Euclid could then make its own ordinances, whereas had it, when it was a village, it could not. Um, you could also could enter into contracts for services, whereas before it couldn't do that. And that was all subject to approval from the state legislature in Columbus. Um, there was also in the 1930s, uh, there were still some working farms in Euclid. Uh, the politics were interesting because the, um, there was a pretty uh, corrupt administration uh, in charge of City Hall up until uh, 1937 when Ken Sims ran with the coalition ticket and chased the rascals out, so to speak. Um, and uh, so that, that period of time is very interesting. I also like talking about the uh, Euclid Railroad. It's a very short uh, span of track uh, running from where currently the Indian Hills Senior Community is uh, across Euclid Avenue and south to uh, where South Euclid is now, where Green Road is, Green and Monticello. The railroad was built specifically to haul uh, 
bluestone, which was being quarried from the quarries in that area of, of South Euclid. I've done several programs uh, at the library about Euclid Railroad. I've actually written an article about it that was published in the Nickel Plate Historical Magazine. So that's, that's a topic I like to talk about. Uh, my third part of Euclid history I enjoy a lot is the mayoral election of 1987. Reason why is that's the year that David Lynch won the mayor's contest and defeated the Euclid Coalition, which had been in charge of Euclid politics for about half a century since Ken Sims's election in 1937. Um, Lynch had been a councilman and no one expected him to win that election. And yet, um, he scored an upset. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. So um, what do you see as a library's role in preserving and telling the story of an area's history? Well, the library should certainly offer meeting rooms for programs uh, about history. Uh, we, at the current time, cannot do that at the Euclid Historical Museum. We just don't have the space. Our biggest room has a maximum seating capacity of 36 people. Um, if we get a large crowd, we wouldn't be able to seat them. We would have to turn people away. So I think the large meeting rooms that we have at the Euclid Public Library come in very handy for that. I think. Um, Libraries should also offer books about local history, particularly about Euclid. Um, and these books can be lent out, whereas uh, the museum's collection, which we do have some local history books, we don't lend those out. Um, we're afraid we won't get them back. And we also don't have a system of lending and keeping track of people and who's got what or anything. They're, we would be starting from scratch. I think the library, too, could... Uh, offer technical assistance to the museum. Um, currently, we don't have anybody on board that uh, can, could help us digitize our photograph collection. Of course, if we wanted to do that, I, I think our very first job would be to identify everybody in those pictures. Um, we do have a lot of pictures where we have no idea who these people are. Um, and uh, I think before we digitize, we, it would behoove us to identify the people in those things. Um, lastly, I think, you know, it'd be nice if the library could have a history room. Uh, they do have that. I'm, I did see it one time I visited Hudson Library, and the Hudson Historical Society has a room there. And I did bring it up one time uh, to uh, the library. Um, this was before the, uh, the uh, room was reserved for uh, the young kids, the, you know, not, not, it wasn't a romper room or anything, but I mean, where the kids can oh, play with Oh, sparkle spot. Yeah. Okay. Well, that previously had been the computer lab and they didn't need it anymore. So I suggested, hey, let's uh, set that up as a little adjunct office for the His Euclid Historical Society. Eh, never took, never took tra <laughs> any, any traction there. <laughs> But I think those Just duly those noted, Tom. Duly noted. <laughs> yeah, I, but I think uh, meeting rooms, uh, books about local history for people to borrow, and uh, technical assistance would be the three things uh, the, the library could do uh, 
preserving an area's history. And thanks to you, we kind of got to start on that with all the pamphlets. I don't know, two dozen or three dozen pamphlets, different pamphlets about the history, people, places, and things. So we've been talking a lot about 80 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. So let's look in the future, 50 years from now, what are people going to be talking about as far as Euclid history as they're back in the day at that time? Well, I would hope one of the things they would talk about would be the Euclid Public Library, which I hope is still around in 50 years, and I trust it will be. But I think one of the things they'll also talk about be the schools. You know, we've seen in the last couple of years a tremendous change in school names and locations and buildings. But I think people will look back and say, geez, you know, do you remember old Euclid Senior High School? Or do you remember old Roosevelt School on 200th Street? Or, hey, do you remember... Uh, uh, the old Euclid Central Junior High up there on Euclid Avenue, which I understand is going to be demolished shortly. So I think this, the schools will be one thing people will be talking about. And I think 50 years from now, people will still be talking about, well, do you remember the, uh, the Memorial Day parades every Memorial Day weekend? Uh, maybe uh, the 4th of July fireworks that we used to have every 4th of July. It was a big affair. Uh, Maybe they'll be talking about the, uh, the old Euclid Clubhouse over there on Bliss Avenue, which is now the Senior Center. But there might be people that, that would, 50 years from now, say, you know, before that was a Senior Center, man, we used to have picnics there and parties. Do you remember that? Um, and I think that uh, those would probably be the things that they'd be talking about. Well, Tom, thanks a lot for coming in and giving us your view on Euclid history. You're very well versed in it, so you're a great guest to have for that. Well, thank you. Thank you, I enjoyed talking with all of you about it. Hope we can do this again sometime in the future. Definitely, thanks a lot. And now the news. And now it's time for library news you cannot use. So Casey, we have some pretty nice bookmarks that you can pick up at Euclid Public Library, but this one is not one of them. A librarian in Indiana tweeted a picture of a book in which a taco had been used as a bookmark. The taco made a great bookmark if all the reader wanted to do was go back to the place they left out. It would be hard to continue reading through the smashed lettuce, cheese, tomato, and taco shell left in the book, though. Steakum and Chex Mix got in on the fun, tweeting suggestions that their products would be good for bookmarks. Make sure you do that with your own books, though, not ours. Well, Mike, if you are interested in food, you might check out some menus archived at libraries around the world. Two highlights are the Roadkill Cafe menu and Abraham Lincoln's Presidential Inauguration Ball Bill Affair. No tacos on either of those menus. And apparently this is something they have to worry about in Arkansas, and it's not food related. A tutor spotted at least two raccoons in the Arkansas State University Library. Students cornered one raccoon, then the school's facility management personnel trapped the others and released them back into the wild. Hopefully they don't make their way up north. And that's the news you cannot use. Thanks for listening to Checked Out. We hope you will tune in next time. You can learn more by picking up a copy of Library Lines at the library or going to our website, euclidlibrary.org.